Hey there, good morning. It's the three static Chanaba for Governor Shop. Guten Morgen. How's your German, your Deutsche coming along? America, how's your German coming along? America. <laughs> Shout out to KAMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona and KPYT. Let's go, Yogi Travel Radio. Yo, Emmy. Thanks. We're going to be listening to oh, Legal AF as I plant some mesquite seedlings, mosquitoes, my little mosquitoes. Modest touch. Let's see. Anything new? Mm, ooh, August 11. Uh, Texas Paul reacts to MAGA extremists after Mar-a-Lago search warrant. Haha. <laughs> Sounds pretty good. This is Brett Micellis, co-founder of Midas Touch, and you are listening to The Mighty. On The Mighty, we feature some of the most impactful responses, reactions, narratives, musings, and rants of Midas content creators. New episodes of the podcast How do I, I do with my brothers drop every Tuesday and Friday morning. The rest of the week, we I'm deliver The Mighty, something. the FBI the search warrant on every day. Accountability for a deranged, sick, and sinister, disgusting, fascist Donald Trump. Yeah. Finally. A despicable man Tell who pled like the Fifth is. Amendment during Wednesday's Tish James deposition. <laughs> pathetic. And what is equally pathetic is the MAGA base and the MAGA media who have kicked into overdrive to spread disinformation and call for acts yeah. of violence and even civil war. Right. Midas contributor Texas Paul delivered a response war. to these deranged MAGA extremists. Let's take a lesson. Hey folks, this is old Texas Paul. I need to warn you, I'm putting a code red out there. There's probably going to be some violence over the next few days. Those traitor sons of bitches are losing their minds. If you're unaware, the FBI served a search warrant out in Mar-a-Lago. The warrant was approved by a judge. It was the search warrant. Uh, the actual raid was approved by Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, which was appointed by Trump, uh, who was being attacked viciously today by the right uh the rhetoric we're hearing out of the right is far worse than anything we heard prior to january 6th this is this is this is going to be bad folks and we we here at the media midas media network just really really want you to be careful be vigilant uh if you see something say something if you hear something say something i report these shitheads local police report it to the fbi uh, th- this is getting serious, folks. The rhetoric out of the three. right. Let me get, just give you some examples. I wrote down so I can uh, keep track of it all. It's just insane, folks. You got like Glenn Beck in, uh, in, in one of the talking heads on the right there. That the FBI needs to be fumigated. <laughs> that this is an act of a this is an act of a dictatorship. <laughs> no, it's not, folks. This is a country with a cold week. Three separate co-equal branches of government. There is an investigation going on uh, by the FBI that was signed off on uh, by a judge. This is wholly legal. There are accusations.
recommendations made by Stephanie Grisham uh, to, the, to the January 6th committee that she saw Trump taking classified documents out of the out of the White House uh, when he left. That he saw, she saw him destroying classified documents, and that she saw him uh, stuffing classified documents in his pockets. <laughs> so no, this is this this is a straight up investigation. If they find something, there will be charges. If they don't find Great. something, there will not be. This is just an, a regular investigation in a first world country. <laughs> the right wing is, has declared yeah, us a banana republic. It's a shithole republic. country now. They're, they are losing their minds. They are saying that we are a third world country now because yeah, of we this are. investigation. No, Just the total Trump. opposite is true. If everyone is accountable to the law, then we are a first world country, a functioning first world country. But these people are just losing their minds. You've got Todd Starnes, uh, another right-wing talking head, that, that uh, said the American people are now in a de facto war with the deep state. They wish. You've got uh, Laura Ingraham. You know, that this is the deep state revenge. And the search huh. warrant was an attack on all Trump supporters. That's right. She's saying that, that, that the FBI is attacking the American people that support Trump. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're not politicians. That's inciting violence. Uh, throwing stones on fire trying to get, but they're going to cause violence here. Um, so they need to be shut down. Break up the corporate media monopoly. White House. That this was ordered by the White House, which is completely untrue. The FBI is an independent body. Uh, Christopher Ray was appointed by Trump. He's a Republican. Uh, this did not come out of the White House. The White House has issued a statement on that that they were unaware that they, you know, that they were not involved in this investigation at all. You got Steve Crowder who you know, comes out blatantly. Another right-wing talking head says, uh, "Tomorrow is war." Fucking inciting well. violence. That's what he says. Tomorrow is war. Sleep well. You got Eric Trump. You know he's 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 accusing Joe Biden of attacking his father on John Hannity. You know, and Hannity says if you're associated at all with Trump in any way, uh, you know you better dot your eyes and cross your T's because they're coming for you. They're coming for you. Uh, no, it's just just a regular investigation. It's just just oh yeah, a, a fucking traitor and a terrorist. Folks. This is how it works. You get warrants and you, you, you search. That's what they do. That's what the FBI does. But I tell you, you've got members of our government calling for the FBI to be defunded or utterly demolished or, and the DOJ to be demolished. You've got Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Green saying to defund the uh, Yeah, well, fucking take her to jail. She's flying an upside-down fucking traitor. On her That's what happens when you let a representative of our shitheads like tra perjury trader green stay in office even though they light tweeted Speaker Pelosi's location and were tweeting 1776. What happens when you guys sit on your fat, morbidly obese asses? About the Second Amendment on this. That, that was their response to this, was to tweet about the Second Amendment. And then you've got... Uh, What's it called, arms? Kevin McCarthy. Right there. 
he makes it not so inciting violence uh, against AG Garland, you know, the Attorney General Merrick Garland, telling him he better he better preserve his records because they're coming after. Him. Huh. Yeah, this is, I mean, this yeah, is I told the, I told uh, Dushi the same thing. Hit jobs. I mean, you had Jim Jordan on on uh, Ingraham specifically saying that you know, you know, in a conversation with Laura Ingraham, where well, they're talking about literally doing political hit jobs over this. DOJ 202 of the FBI. Get rid of these shitheads. He wants the FBI gone. I want these because shithead terrorists gone. Tell me he's not got something to hide and willing to burn the whole house down. Huh. I mean, it's insane. It gets worse. You got Rep. Anthony Sabatini calls for Florida to sever ties completely with the DOJ and to arrest FBI agents engaged in law enforcement activities that are not approved by the state of Florida. Huh. Oh, so that's insane, uh, that's folks. how they and can I'm get death sentences involved. I'm asking you. We here at Midas are asking you to please be vigilant. Please be aware. If you don't have to make trips, don't. There will be violence over this. They are losing their minds, and it is far worse than January 6th. And I love you folks, so please take care of your families. Watch yourself. If you see something, say something. This is Old Texas Paul out. You take care of yourself. There will be more to come today, I promise you. Watch out for your families. I love you folks. Thanks, Texas Paul, and thank you for listening to this episode of The Mighty. Make sure to subscribe right now to the Midas Touch podcast channel and leave us a five-star review. Also, please check out store.midastouch.com for the best Midas Touch gear. We're currently doing a limited edition run of our Convict 45 pins. There are only a few remaining, so get those now. The best thing about it is it's a noun that and sounds art, pretty so good. it's Convict 45 and soon to be Convict. Thanks for listening <laughs> and shout out to the Midas Mighty. Pretty balls, a little short. Find your next favorite podcast at advertisecast.com slash explore. There you will find a list of some of the best and up-and-coming podcasts around searchable by category. That's advertisecast.com slash explore to find your new podcast obsession.
this episode of The Mighty, my brother Brett Micellis interviews North Carolina Court of Appeals Judge Lucy Inman. Judge Inman is a Democrat running for a vacant seat on the North Carolina Supreme Court. The North Carolina Supreme Court is currently 4-3 to three in favor of Democrats, but two of the Democratic-held seats are up for re-election. Court of Appeals Judge Inman faces off against the radical right extremist Court of Appeals Judge Republican Richard Dietz for a vacant seat. Ultimately, the North Carolina Supreme Court will be ruling on issues like voting rights and a woman's right to choose and there'll be disastrous results if a radical right extremist who wants to take away your freedoms are appointed. I know many podcasts and shows focus on federal races like Senate and Congress or state governor races, but you know by now that the Midas Touch podcast, well, we make a point to cover races that are less talked about, but just as important like Supreme Court races. Let's check out this interview between Brent Micellis and Judge Inman. I am honored today to have Judge Lucy Inman on the program. Judge Inman is a former trial judge, litigator, and print journalist, but that's not all. She's also been an appellate judge since 2014, and she is the Democratic candidate for North Carolina Supreme Court Justice. Judge Inman, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you I think so justice much for having should me. Not I really be, appreciate uh, your uh, taking the time and getting the word out about how important these state Supreme part Court of a party. races are. Uh, we love focusing on these races because at a certain point, they're almost more important than many of the high-profile races that, that people think about. First, got to comment on the absolutely, for the people listening to the show, the absolutely gorgeous landscape behind you. Where are you, Judge? And it looks absolutely beautiful. I am in Watauga County, North Carolina, on a ridge that sits on the Eastern Continental Divide. <laughs> and um, North Carolina is a big state. We have beautiful beaches and we have beautiful mountain areas like here in Watauga County. And um, I, was I was on the foothills of the mountains last night. And this evening I'll be meeting some folks um, in Boone, which is a, in Watauga County. And so this is my office for today, and I am so lucky. Now I know why I know so many people who have decided to retire in North Carolina or move to North Carolina. It looks absolutely stunning. But let's get into not only your actual Zoom background right now, which is gorgeous, but I want to hear about <laughs> your background, Judge quite the background, quite the range there. As I mentioned earlier, you went from journalist to appellate judge, and now you're in <laughs> North Carolina Supreme Court justice. So <laughs> how does that happen? How does a journalist become a judge and then run for the Supreme Court? Well, first I'll say my first job out of college was working as a newspaper reporter, and that was in 1984. And print journalism is struggling so much now. But at the time I graduated from college, and I hope that the same is true now no matter what form of media, one of the best jobs you could ever have is to be a journalist. Because you get paid fun. to ask people questions. Yeah. And you don't just have fun. permission to go out and do that work. I felt like it was a responsibility that I had to the public to ask people questions, and you get to meet people from all walks of life. When I covered courts in North Carolina, I had first covered crimes and emergencies and met people on the worst days of their lives in very fast-breaking news situations. When you're covering courts, the dust has settled a bit. We 
are not in an emergency situation, but we are asking what are going to be the consequences of someone's most terrible experience, whether um, or not that person has been accused of a crime or they've been a victim of a crime or something terrible has happened to them or a loved one and they are left trying to figure out how they are going to pay for their medical bills for the rest of their lives, whether they're having a business dispute. All walks of life come to a courthouse. Very few people who come there are happy. Even if they're coming to serve on jury duty, they're being asked to put their lives on hold and make really hard decisions and get paid nearly nothing Penny. for it. I loved covering the courts because it was just a front row seat to humanity. And I could see that the jury was looking to the judge to treat them fairly and with respect. So were the parties. And I thought, you know, I'd like to work in the justice system and not just write about it. So that's how I decided to go to law school. That's really interesting. I never really thought about the parallels there, but uh, there definitely are quite a bit. And for, for our listeners who don't know, what exactly does an appellate judge do? How, how is that different from other courts in North Carolina? Well, it is different from other courts in North Carolina and in other states. Most people, when they think of judges, they think of the trial judges that you see on television and in movies, presiding in trial with the jury and with witnesses testimony. You are experiencing, uh, whether it's fictional or nonfiction, in real time, the, the presentation of evidence and following the jury's decision based on evidence. One of my favorite older oh. trial judge once said, the greatest judges are the trial judges because they must make the decisions in the heat of the day that the appellate judges get to review, review in the cool shade of the evening. <laughs> appellate courts don't work with juries and we don't see or hear evidence from witnesses we have to rely on the written record from the trial court so transcripts of testimony um pictures of of evidence and we don't get to decide factual issues those are left to the trial courts and to the juries who are there when the evidence is being presented we generally review cases for legal error. Our decisions, unlike the trial court decisions, also have a broader impact. And that is because in each decision, in each decision, we summarize honestly those facts and the law and the analysis that leads to our ruling. And then our decision becomes precedent, which is binding on our court and on all the trial courts. So when we make a decision in a case on a legal issue, like cases with like legal issues should follow that decision. Yeah, so it's almost uh, as important as it gets, the decision that you're making. But now you're running for North Carolina Supreme Court. I want to make sure that everybody understands exactly why these North Carolina Supreme Court elections are so important. Why should our listeners, you know, in California, in Texas, why, why should our listeners all around the country care about these North Carolina Supreme Court elections? Well, the North Carolina Supreme Court, um, and I'm on the Intermediate Appellate Court, the Court of Appeals right now. Our Court of Appeals must follow all the precedent from the North Carolina Supreme Court. The North Carolina Supreme Court is the court of last resort in North Carolina.
and it has the last say on issues of common law and on issues of interpreting our state statutes and interpreting our state constitution. And the reason that is so important, and a lot of people don't know that each state has its own constitution. We have a federal constitution. The delegates from North Carolina way back when would not agree to sign on to the federal constitution until a bill of rights was added to it. But then North Carolina has its own constitution with its own version of the bill of rights that's a little different. And every state's constitution may be a little bit different and you cannot provide fewer rights in the federal constitution, but a constitution for any state can provide broader rights than the US constitution. So for example, the North Carolina Supreme Court over the last several decades has held, and I will note in opinions written by Democrats and Republican justices, that our state constitution provides for a right for every child to receive a sound, basic public education. That's not in the United States constitution. That's a right in North Carolina that we have beyond the federal constitution. Our Supreme Court has also held that North Carolina's constitution, and this is real simple because it's just in the words of the constitution. We've all heard of the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness from the federal constitution. Well, North Carolina's constitution has a fourth right in that list, and that is a right for every person to receive the fruits of their labors. That was added to our state constitution in 1868, and the historical record suggests that it was added to make sure that people knew that formerly enslaved people were entitled to be paid for their labor. And that provision has been applied in modern times to protect workers, to fair treatment from their employers, and to protect businesses from some regulation by the government. Um, and finally, in February of this year, and probably most salient to the people who are watching or hearing this, the North Carolina Supreme Court held that our state constitution provides through several clauses, including a free elections clause, a free speech clause, a free assembly clause, and an equal protection clause, protection for North Carolina voters, that their votes will count and that they cannot be diluted by extreme partisan gerrymandering and comply with the state constitutional provisions. So our Supreme Court held that the North Carolina state constitution prohibits some partisan gerrymandering of state legislative districts and congressional districts. That decision followed a decision a few years ago by the United States Supreme Court, which held that the issue of partisan gerrymandering was just non-justiciable by the federal courts, it was a political question that the federal courts could not decide. And the U.S. Supreme Court held in that decision that it was not leaving this issue to a complete void because state Supreme Courts could examine these issues under their own state constitutions.
So that's the most recent example. The case that you're referring to here is the Supreme North Carolina Supreme Court had struck down the state's new gerrymandered maps that were drawn up by the Republicans. And then, if I'm not mistaken, they then denied an application from the North Carolina Republicans asking it to reinstate that map. So what does it what does that exactly mean going into these midterm races and in 2022? Who actually gets to make the final decision over the congressional maps in North Carolina now that the court has rejected the Republican drawn maps? Well, um, after the North Carolina Supreme Court rejected the Republican-drawn maps, I'll say the, the maps drawn by the majority of our legislature, really, the matter was remanded to the trial court. It was a three-judge trial court panel, and it in turn had some appointed masters, and they were two former North Carolina Supreme Court justices, uh, both Republican, and one former North Carolina Superior Court judge. And those special masters redrew the district lines for part of our state legislature, that is the state Senate, and for the congressional districts. And those are the maps that are effective for the election coming up in November. So that's the the status for this election. In terms of what that does to the political climate, the ink was hardly dry on the Supreme Court, North Carolina Supreme Court's decision declaring that partisan gerrymandering violated our state constitution, than extreme partisans right. <laughs> took to social media, took to the airwaves, and said, wait a minute, folks, you need to know something. The North Carolina Supreme Court has four Democrats and three Republicans. The majority opinion on gerrymandering was written by Justice Robin Hudson, and she was joined by the three other Democratic justices. The three Republican justices dissented to that decision. And these pundits said, hey, look, Republican Party, if we can just take one of those Democratic seats, we can have a new majority, and hey, who cares about precedent? The new majority could overrule that decision before the next election cycle. That is a very partisan view of what is happening. It's very unfortunate. I don't believe judicial races should be partisan. It's very, very bad for our judiciary, and it didn't used to be this way in North Carolina. But our legislature made these races partisan, a few years ago in the lead up to the 2016 presidential election. And I want to emphasize, because I am a lifelong Democrat, I don't toe any line for the Democratic Party. And I know a lot of Democrats may be disappointed to hear that, but that's not my job. And it's really in violation of my duties to say that I would toe the line for anyone. The statistics show us that since the 2020 election for our North Carolina Supreme Court, when we lost our first African-American woman Supreme Court Chief Justice, we lost our first Jewish justice, and I lost a race to a justice who has become the most politically active justice in my lifetime here. The three Republican justices on our Supreme Court have voted in unison in 93% of all the cases that they have heard. The four Democrats who make up the majority of our Supreme Court in that same time period have voted in unison 
in about 48% of the cases they've heard. I believe that's a contrast yeah, between yeah. independent justices and justices who are working together because it's just not a coincidence. And I want to be cautious to say I haven't been party to any of their deliberations. I don't know their reasons other than the reasons they write in their decisions. But with that kind of statistic, I believe that I am the best qualified candidate to protect the integrity of our North Carolina Supreme Court to make sure that independent justices decide cases without fear or favor and not rubber stamp anything that another branch of government does and also not legislate from the bench and decide that we know the law better than our predecessors and so that we can just reject precedent. Hey, I think you hit the nail on the head, though, because I, I really do believe that people want you know, whether it's politicians or judges, people who are really just civil servants, not trying to get in this partisan back and forth, but are trying to do the right thing for the people. And to me, that's the thing that I always look for when I'm looking at candidates and stuff. I'm, I'm like, who is actually, who has the compassion, who is actually looking at the law, who actually wants to do right by the American people, or in your case, by North Carolinians. Before we end this, I just want to ask, with all that kind of partisan division that you were just talking about, do you still have faith in our institutions after these past few huh. years, just after all the drama, after all the chaos that we've experienced as a nation? No. I will say this. I can't do anything about the United States Supreme Court. Not one thing. And I am bound by my oath of office to follow precedent from the United States Supreme Court about the matters in which it has the last word. I have faith in the North Carolina Supreme Court, even when we are find ourselves in these highly polarized times, because I have the faith in the North Carolina voters to choose. Do we want our third branch of government to serve the role that it's supposed to serve and has served for hundreds of years? And that is to be the final arbiter of what the people's rights are, independent of the other branches, or do we want our state Supreme Court to be just another partisan branch of government? And I believe if you ask not just Democrats, but unaffiliated voters and many Republican voters, they want a fair and impartial judiciary that is going to stay in its constitutional lane. So I do have faith in that. I must emphasize before we go another name, and that is Justice Sam Irvin, who is running for re-election this year on the North Carolina Supreme Court. Justice Irvin was elected statewide to the Supreme Court in 2014, the same year I was elected to the Court of Appeals in nonpartisan judicial elections. And he's running for re-election. And the spin on the street, and I'm not attributing this to any judicial candidate, um, but the spin on the street from the Republican Party is, hey, folks, if we can take either of those two seats, if we can replace Justice Irvin, or if we can replace the outgoing Justice Hudson with a Republican, folks, we're going to have a new party. And we're going to see a new direction for the North Carolina Supreme Court.
in my opinion, we don't need a new direction. We need to hold on to the stable court that we've had. It provides stability, and in these trying times, when we are so worried about whether we have faith in these institutions, we do not need to abandon. We do not need to abandon the stability of our state supreme courts. Midas Mighty, if that's not a reason to get out and vote for Judge Inman, I don't know what is. Please get out there. Pay attention to all these races up and down the ballot. Every single race is so important. If you want to support Judge Lucy Inman's uh, candidacy right here, you can go to LucyInmanForJustice.com. That's LucyInmanForJustice.com. Judge Inman, thank you again for joining us today on the Midas Touch Podcast, and best of luck to you. Jordy here again. I knew that interview would be compelling, but it even exceeded my expectations. Court of Appeals Judge Inman would make an incredible Supreme Court judge in North Carolina. You can find out more information about Judge Inman at LucyInmanForJustice.com. That's LucyInmanForJustice.com. Hey, thank you so much for listening. Hey, please make sure to check out Midas Touch merch and gear and clothes at store.midastouch.com. That's store.midastouch.com. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Mighty. Until next time, Jordy Mycel is here, and as always, shout out to the Midas Mighty! <laughs> right. So, uh, if you're still there, thanks for tuning into the Christopher Cabernetor show. And um, if you like this podcast, check out another one because um, got him flying out my ass with style, man. KPYT, Pasquayaki Travel Radio. Okay, AMP Student Radio at the University of Arizona, yo. Yo. So let's see what else is going on. Most Touch is great. Cover uh, Midas Touch. Um, <clears throat> Michael Cohen. And uh, Legal AF. Trump flushes the GOP down the toilet. I got a chicky. I got a chicky pecking on my. Oh, 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 baby. Hi, little Live from Washington, D.C. That's the right. The Inflation Reduction <laughs> Act passes. Indiana enacts a total abortion ban. We'll talk about that. CPAC. What a bunch of lunatics. You see some of this <laughs> CPAC footage coming out this weekend where the uh, Republicans are literally calling themselves we are domestic terrorists and doing a bunch of other nine. weird fascist cosplay. We will break that down. Additionally, more news about Trump throwing and shredding documents in the toilet bowls. There's now a bunch of eyewitnesses coming forward saying they need to see Trump flushing. There are, eyewitnesses, Ben, there are photos of the documents in the toilet bowls. We've already huh. had the eyewitnesses. Now we have the pictures. I know. It's when I looked at these pictures first. I'm like, how could these pictures be real? But <laughs> how could any of this be real with uh, anything that went on in that ridiculous yeah. mega fascist world? But that's why we're fighting for democracy here on the Midas Touch podcast. Mega fascist world. Flat. 
Jordy on his last day of vacation break. We had Jordy's wedding this weekend out in Pittsburgh. The whole family went down. We shared a bunch of those wedding photos with all of you. We kept you apprised of the behind-the-scenes footage, but a great uh, wedding weekend, Brett. Uh, then we flew out to Washington, D.C. to celebrate the passage of the uh, Inflation Reduction Act with Dark Brandon. Huh? Dark Brandon, slayer of the malarkey, reducer of the deficit, giver of the jobs. <laughs> well, first, why don't you talk a little bit about Jordy's uh, work? wedding then we'll hit a little bit about dark brand for everyone wondering what this whole dark branded thing is all, all about and it's tongue-in-cheek dark branded okay you can't take dark branded too seriously or can you or can you yeah exactly man no jordy's wedding was amazing i mean i i'm so happy that you were able to kind of live tweet the wedding we were able to share some photos throughout it's almost uh, september such an incredible ceremony amazing party great to see family hang with family dance uh, see Jordy crying up there just because he was so Shit, happy and I, I know all you guys saw those photos and videos really just such an incredibly special day so so nice. congratulations can we move on so to the new subject please his new wife Lexi and uh, I just can't wait for them to I officiated yeah. the wedding I did a pretty good job officiating the wedding for those who want me to officiate your wedding I may are you hitting the circuit I may do the officiating wedding circuit after the good. Positive reviews uh, that came out of Jordy's wedding. You were getting requests. I noticed that, by the way, at the end. Other people were saying, could you do my event? Could you do other events? And I think you kind of had to tell them, like, you know, I, I kind of have these other jobs. But, uh, but maybe I do, but you know what people liked about it? I kept it short. I kept it simple. I was funny. But not, you don't want to be too funny. You, you can't overshadow the groom and the bride, that's for sure. And then you want to get in and out. <laughs> but talking about positive reviews, Dark Brandon, a.k.a. President Joe Biden, getting the Inflation Reduction Act passed after intense negotiations, showing what the stick to is like. And just also, because Biden was a senator for so long, he knows how to get things done. He knows how to negotiate. He knew how to work productively with someone like Joe Manchin, who's a Democrat, but represents a constituency in hypothetically West Virginia. That's you know, <laughs> hypothetically because oftentimes when you actually see the types of issues that Manchin pushes back on or the types of issues that Cinema push back on, it has nothing to do with the actual constituency there. But suffice to say that they, there is a you know unique constituency. They know the people they represent. But Biden knew how to negotiate with them, even in the last minute when cinema was fighting incredibly hard and trying to, you know, potentially create some uh, negotiating points. I'll put it nicely. Um, that was in the interest of private equity in terms of taxes on this carried interest provision that was in there, which could have blown up the deal, managing to find workarounds that would have like an amendment to the Thune amendment that reintroduced this other amendment that basically got it done. And that just this skill in negotiating and knowing how the Senate works to get things done. But setting aside all of those machinations behind the scenes, this bill really, really helps people. I want to get into what's in this bill. But Brett, first, I want to talk about the origins of Dark Brandon. The origins oh, of Dark Please. Brandon. Break it down for us, all right? 
Let I'm me not. give you the origin of Dark Brandon. So Dark Brandon began as one of these right-wing kind of fascist memes to try to mock Joe Biden. But <laughs> this is now the summer of 2022. This is the summer <laughs> of democracy. This is the summer of the January 6th committee. This is the summer in the summer of 2022. The summer of 2020. 22. We've all figured this out now. So the pro-democracy loving people said, all right, you want to create this weird dark branded thing? We'll own dark branded. And so the pro-democracy crowd of what I think is a huge coalition that's building to try to push out this MAGA fascism kind of tongue-in-cheek took this dark branded persona this comic book batman superman like character of joe biden and used these kind of right-wing memes <laughs> against the right wing and so bro what was the tweet that That's i basically cool. wrote i said you know joe biden said let there be jobs and so there was with an excellent job report of over five hundred and thirty-eight thousand jobs created but there was a great jobs report uh the unemployment was people though who think you're just not even being tongue-in-cheek whatsoever like the people who think you're being just 100 percent serious with the dark brandon memes but i think you know dark brandon though has been an unstoppable force and at this point you, you, you can't stop the momentum you can't stop dark brandon he is everywhere and is so far everywhere that now like have you noticed the white house is using dark brandon memes like the director of digital engagement for the right white house rob flaherty was posting dark brandon memes this morning it's become so <laughs> ubiquitous and it just become a sign especially right now with all the momentum that we're seeing from the democrats from the white house it's a way to celebrate the wins and i know it is tongue-in-cheek it is with the laser eyes with biden with laser eyes and biden with the muscles and but here's the thing you know, take it, like, the right wing they'll put those photos with trump on a six-pack and genuinely like take that shit seriously i mean for us it's a funny joke um, but we do want to highlight the good stuff to your point, Brett, of what Biden's doing. And, I, and I'll get into the specifics in a sec, but don't underestimate the power of the meme wars. Don't underestimate it, because this is actually how information is shared in 2022. And it's good that we have like a, a cool representation of President Biden out there, that every time there is a success, especially with 90 and some days to the elections, we could go, boom, did it again. Boom, did it again. Dark, dark Brandon, Brandon, Dark Brandon, Brandon, share the memes, have some fun with it, have something to rally around. I mean, honestly, we were missing something like this, and now we got energy, but it's because every single day what we're seeing is Democrats working for the people, President Biden working for the people. And I really, really, really do believe, Ben, that they took your advice to heart a few months ago when you were like, why aren't they just getting out there and passing bills every day? Whether, whether they will pass the Senate and get signed into law or or not just show that democrats are fighting for the people get all these republicans on the record and that's what they've been doing then we're able to get this massive piece of legislation the inflation reduction act through the senate it's going to be signed by president biden and what's in the bill it's one of the most substantial pieces of legislation we've seen in a very long time it caps medicare out of costs at two thousand dollars three hundred billion dollars in deficit reduction lowers carbon emissions by 40 percent by 2031 at 15 percent minimum tax on corporations it lets medicare negotiate All right. prices hey that man was i think you're like listening to me Trump too talking point. <laughs> that Remember, was my idea let medicare negotiate prices minimum. but he couldn't get shit done. Minimum. 
on taxes. Tax cuts for renewable energy. Corporations. A lot of clean energy. This is the biggest piece of clean energy legislation ever. Fixed tax loopholes. It's given a means to collect taxes from billionaires. It extends Obamacare subsidies. And no taxes, not one penny, will be raised on anybody making under $400,000 a year. Yes. This is a massive, massive, wow. massive That's deal. another one of and my of ideas. Course, what do Republicans do? What's the one thing that they have to do as they're going through this bill? They got to make sure, let me take out, how could we, okay, you, you guys are going to pass this, but we're going to chip one thing off it. We're going to make sure that the those diabetics, we're going to make sure that they're the ones who are suffering. That's what we're going to do. So Republicans get an amendment that uh, they they vote down the provision that would have lowered the cost of insulin to thirty five. So the way that works, Brett, and it's a bit weird, so I'll, I'll try to break it down a little bit. Um, outside of Medicare to introduce outside of the Medicare caps to introduce this lower cost of insulin cap at thirty five dollars. The Democrats had to introduce that as a separate amendment because the Senate parliamentarian viewed that as basically a new bill and, you know, an adding to the existing bill that could otherwise, you know, based on whatever the parliamentary system is for reconciliation, the parliamentary, the parliamentarian, which is just a weird concept that they've a Senate parliamentarian who no one even knows can say, hey, that can't be included in this. Yeah, bill. It's like all of our dark Brandon jokes are actually true about the Senate part. This is the Senate parliamentarian, <laughs> Senate parliamentarian, overseer of the Senate decider of what comes in the bills. It's a bizarre, <laughs> bizarre concept. But so the Democrats had to introduce that. It's really strange. The Democrats, the, I mean, that, that's just the way our Senate works. It's not unique to right now. So the Democrats introduced the provision to lower the cost of insulin to $35 as a new amendment. And Republicans voted that down and prevented that from getting into the bill. So that's why when they took a big stand. Republicans fist bumping. They got the diabetics. Last week, they got the vets. No health care for toxic substances. And now the Republicans are coming for the diabetic population no cheaper insulin by the way all of these republicans have been when they go to their constituents when they go and they speak they go oh one of the things we want to do is lower the cost of insulin to 35 dollars so now they have the opportunity to vote on that issue but let's fist bump let's own the democrats that's how disgusting these people are let's not actually help people live it's fucking out big win for us <laughs> it should all be driven out of yeah, office what the wins for the republican party are it, it, it says it all and what i like to say though about about this honestly it's it's not a win for democrats although it obviously is it's it's really a win for all americans and it's a win for the planet because it's the biggest piece of climate legislation we've ever had in this country we got to take what we could get here but we actually got a lot and this is why like the georgia elections were so important and think about that if we did not have the senate the way it was if we kicked the joe manchin out of our party when we were pissed at him a few months ago guess what this never would have happened so we got to understand that we are playing on a razor's edge right now with our politics and that's why it's so important that we get out there and we expand our senate majority yeah make sure you get me in as a mine inspector because it's just it is being told to us every single day and we see these republicans that the the republicans don't have they like complaining that they even have to show up to work like if you don't even want to do the job then don't do the job marco rubio posts on twitter that one of his flights got canceled and that he's gonna he has to 
fly at an inconvenient time for him. And Marco <laughs> Rubio, by the way, who professes to be, Don't fucking you know, he sits on committees that member. deal with national and international security <laughs> um, and privacy. He posts his reservation number um, <laughs> when he puts the, the image of his flight ticket on Twitter. I mean, just think about this. You are a United States senator and you are complaining and whining to the world that you have to take an inconvenient flight from Florida to Washington, D.C. to vote, to do your job, to do what the taxpayers pay you nearly $20,000 a month to do, and you're whining about that and crying on Twitter. And what a bunch of babies. And it wasn't just Marco Rubio. I mean, Chuck Grasley. I mean... All of these people, oh, we have to show up and do our jobs. Oh, but American people are catching on to this. I mean, that's why you saw the new numbers from Progress Progress Florida and Florida Watch, which show Marco Rubio and Democratic challenger Val Demings tied 45 percent, 45 percent. You know, and that's because Marco Rubio's a little whiny baby. And apologies to babies. It's like people are done with this. They want people who will fight for them and who actually do the work for them. And they see someone in Val Demings, a very competent and qualified person who's not whining about anything. And you speak about whining. I mean, the ultimate wine fest in the world. One of the strangest things is this this CPAC convention, I got to break it down because it has reached some of the strangest, scariest, dangerous, idiotic. We can give it all of these labels in the world. But let's talk first about the keynote speaker, Viktor Orban, the prime minister of Hungary, who is viewed as a fascist wannabe because he is. And this is an individual who wants to destroy democracies, who wants to take authoritarian power, who all of our allies fucking Hungarian. Warn, what the fuck is, is an incredibly doing? dangerous person to the survival of democracy generally. And this is the person who, first off, Republicans had held prior conventions in Hungary. <laughs> They've done sound for Can I just say one thing? Is CPAC every every three days now? Like, <laughs> I, I, literally, there's a CPAC like every three days, and each one gets crazier than the next. Well, I don't know what these organized. politicians do, other than go from WrestleMania event to WrestleMania event to WrestleMania event. It's just a traveling circus at this point. They're <laughs> certainly not meeting with their constituents. They're just meeting with the craziest of the crazy people at all times, and they're all kind of in this weird bubble of just radicalizing each other at this point like i bet if they actually got out there into their communities and saw people who were actually struggling and the needs of their constituents i'm sure maybe they'd actually behave a little differently but they're going to these psychotic carnival events every single day meeting with the most radical of the radical just feeding off this radical energy and it's just so unhealthy for our democracy to have one party that has just completely abandoned democracy and let me just tell you let me just read 
you a line from Victor Orban's Wikipedia page before you get into more of the fact that Orban was the keynote speaker at this event. So There's Orban's a, tenure has seen the hungry uh, government some, shift towards what he has called an um, illiberal yeah. democracy, citing countries, and these are the inspiration countries, uh, inspirations, such as China, Russia, India, Singapore, and Turkey as models of governance, while simultaneously promoting anti-Americanism, Euroscepticism, and opposition to Western democracy. What? Yeah, and that's why he, you know, links up with the Texas GOP platform, which are basically all of those things. That was the official Texas platform for Brett. All of these events, they kind of look and feel the same. They get a little bit crazier each time. But the speeches are basically identical. So, I mean, uh, it's the same stupid stump speech, ridiculous stump speech, where all the Republicans do when they get on the stage, they show up, there's weird pyrotechnics and fireworks. (laughs) They get out there, and someone like Ted Cruz goes something like, My name is Ted Cruz, and my pronouns are kiss my ass. Kiss my ass. And the crowd goes, yeah, that's right. Your pronouns. Kiss your ass, Ted Cruz. I mean, all if if you watch them, that's all they talk about. They are obsessed. Obsessed with pronouns. Obsessed with the pronouns. Obsessed with obsessed with the pronouns. And the ultimate irony of it when he goes is, my pronouns are kiss my ass. Ultimately. They don't even think through what their position is. It's just like, hey, government, stay the fuck out of people's lives, okay? The government, you don't need to get involved with that. Let people identify how they want to identify. Hey, Let government, kiss my ass. control their own bodies, Ted Cruz. You do not need to be the arbiter of it. And if your pronouns are kiss my ass, then guess what, Ted Cruz? Kiss my ass, okay? <laughs> get out of my bedroom, Ted Cruz. Get out of my home. Get out of my doctor's office, okay? Get out of the decisions that I want to make with my own family. And stop focused, Ted Cruz, and people like you on taking away my freedoms and my family's freedoms and my friends, my, my friends' freedoms and my colleagues' freedoms. Focus on what you do and stop whining about taking flights to government to do the business of the people that you're supposed to be hired to do. That's the ultimate irony of those points, Brett. And then as you go through the CPAC and you see some of the other stuff, did you see one of the exhibits? They have an exhibit hall in CPAC. And in one of the exhibits, they had like a cosplay mock-up of a jail cell because these radical right-wingers call the insurrectionists political prisoners. I'm not making this up. And so they claim that the government is oppressing the insurrectionists who are the political prisoners whose human rights are being violated according to the radical right extremists. So they set up a booth and in this booth in an orange jumpsuit was Brandon Straka an actual insurrectionist who pled guilty and who was sentenced oh by God. a court. Now, Brandon Straka is sitting in this makeup of a jail cell. They're doing these like bizarre religious, what? I say bizarre, and I shouldn't even say it. Whatever that was, was not religion, but I guess not it's fake religious. It's sort of, it's culty. It was very cult, Yeah, these cult culty. chants and cult hymns and cult prayers as Marjorie Taylor Greene oh sits God. in front of Brandon Strachan, <laughs> kneels in front of him as he starts crying and like kisses him in this like mock-up of, I don't even know what 
this fascist cosplay bizarre strange scene and let me tell you about brandon straka who's in that orange jumpsuit so brandon straka got leniency by the judge because straka worked with the feds to turn on other insurrectionists to make sure other insurrectionists were arrested straka in his performance he's an informant he took he, he worked with the feds he took full accountability of his actions, not anymore, but at this time, he said it was the stupidest thing he had ever done in, you know, to a federal judge, and then worked with the FBI to identify other insurrectionists who were there, turned over his phone, turned over his cell phone, and actually recently that information came to light that he was working with the feds. So that's the individual who's in that jail cell with Marjorie Taylor Greene in their weird fascist cosplay, Brett. But what's going on in CPAC oh is beyond so disturbing. Weird. But did you, did you see though the headphone exhibit that they had at this thing? Also, they had it like a silent disco, and they had a word that said silence on it. And what they did was you could put on the headphones that they had at this exhibit, and you could hear the real tales of the January 6th political prisoners. So you put on these headphones, and you hear stories of people in the January 6th oh political God, prison so talking about their hardships, the as if they, like, escaped the Nazis or ah. something. Like, this is the real sick shit that they were doing in there. Yeah. And this is the Republican Party, but oh let's get God. into the other stuff. I mean, it was all the same shit that we hear over and over again and it's just a disinformation lie like crazy alternate reality chamber where trump says that he finished the wall he says the job numbers aren't good even though we're having like the best job numbers of all time he makes <laughs> up that gas is eight dollars lauren gobert says oh we gotta prosecute fauci we need to arrest indict and prosecute fauci what for keeping you alive like once again like what are you talking about and she that? does that same <sighs> you know, she does that like prance on the stage yeah she um, walks around with like just that stage with <laughs> ben is ben is doing the prance for the listeners right now it's a, it's pretty good it's pretty good just let me tell you something let me tell you something you know who is comprised let me tell you who is comprised <laughs> she meant compromised she meant compromised and they were all comprised is what she said she these people and she does the strut and every word she says is wrong for people who believe that the only language She's that should be spoken in the United dropout. States is English. They sure don't know how to say that language at all. Brett, how about the big banner? The banner when you walked into CPAC said, we are domestic terrorists. I'm not making that. When I saw that, I thought, you know, there are some people online who will like do edits of videos and they'll put things on or change what banners say or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, they did a really good job. And then I like looked into it and I was like, holy shit, CPAC actually had a banner, a, a digital banner that w greeted everybody as they arrived that said, we are domestic terrorists. I mean, they are just showing the middle finger right now to the law, to everybody. And they're trying to, I think, also desensitize people to what they really did on January 6th. And to exactly. I mean, they are just really owning the fact yes, that we are the insurrection party. We are the party that wants to destroy America. And we even GOP saw that so emphasized by people like Andy Biggs, representative, who made it his main platform that what we need to do when Marty we get into power, we need to do 
defund the Department of Justice and the FBI. Trump said he's going to recall all the prosecutors who are going after him. I mean, this is just a lawless party for the party that has said over and over, law and order, law and order. Like trying like to hit Democrats with this like, defund the police thing that Democrats aren't even pushing for. To then go and, and go... I'm going to defund the Department of Justice because we are criminals and they are coming after us. I'm going to defund the FBI. I'm going to target the prosecutors. And then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene after all this Alex Jones stuff. Alex Jones, one of the most horrific people on the planet, if not the most horrific person on the planet. Somebody who made millions of dollars harassing the families of school shooting victims. You really, that's not a liberal or a conservative or a Democrat or Republican issue. It didn't used to be, and maybe it is now. If you're a Republican, maybe you support that now. I, I, I don't know. But you have Marjorie Taylor Greene saying, no, the, the families that Alex Jones harassed, they're not the real victims.